I'm Brian Myers. I'm Mike Ritalik. I'm Becky Haddad. And this is Owl Pellets, a podcast featuring tips for ag teachers. We are your agricultural education resource across the web, sharing research-based tips and tackling the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. Hey, Owl Pellets, we are back. This is Brian, Mike, and Becky, and we are excited to invite not only two of our colleagues and two of our friends, but two world-famous authors. <laughs> and we are excited uh, to, to I, I think, I think this is a Owl Pellets first. Yeah. <laughs> this is the first time that we have gotten to speak with, text, with authors of books and promote the book. And, and talk about the good things you're doing. We've got Antoine Austin and Dexter Wakefield with us today. Welcome, gentlemen. Howdy. All right, thank you for having us today. So to get us started, Antoine, why don't you get started, kind of introduce yourself a little bit to everybody and tell us a little bit about yourself. All right, well, I'll start off. I'm Antoine Austin, native of Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, the son of an ag teacher. My father was my uh, high school ag teacher and advisor, and my mother was an elementary teacher, so I come from my line of educators. I'm actually a third-generation 1890 land-grant ag major. My maternal grandfather was a dairy science major at Delaware State. I did my undergrad and master's in ag education at North Carolina A&T, where I currently serve as associate dean for academic studies and professor of ag education. And I'm also a graduate of that great institution in Ames, Iowa. I'm a cyclone at Iowa State University. I've been at A&T now for 22 years. And so it's an honor and privilege to be with you today. Thank you. All right. Hello, everyone. My name is Dexter Wakefield. I'm a, a country boy from Quitman, Georgia. If anybody know what Georgia is, I'm <laughs> right next to Valdosta. I'm a graduate of Fort Valley State University ag, ag Education. I'm also a graduate of Purdue University with my master's and PhD. I've been in the agricultural education teaching profession now for 22 years. So um, we're happy to be here with you all today to talk about the NFA and the and the book, the pictorial that uh, Dr. Austin, as well as myself, have uh, established for, for you all to have, enjoy for your coffee table discussion uh, <laughs> at your convenience. <laughs> I love it. I yes. love it. And so, and so this book we are talking about is called The Legacy of the New Farmers of America. Uh, it's available where all good books are sold. And we're going to see if we probably will um, drop that in, in the links if you can get those. It is a, I'm going to, I'm going to drop with the end here, give, give away the big giveaway. It is a phenomenal book. I encourage everybody in agricultural education uh, to get a copy, maybe a copy or two, right, gentlemen? Uh, and, and to talk about this, it's a conversation uh, that needs to be had at not only the pre-service ag ed levels, but all of our, our students in school-based agricultural education. So if you gentlemen would start off, what was kind of the the inspiration or what inspired you to go ahead and and write a book because writing a book is not an easy thing to do well let me just say this the new farms america uh both of our followers were nfa members and so you could say it's really in our blood it was in our house it was around us and my godfather marvin roundtree was a 1957 national nfa president and was my ninth grade ag teacher so we really grew up around it. And for me personally, at North Carolina A&T, the, the headquarters for the NFA during its existence, mostly thanks to S.B. Simmons, who was the uh, longtime executive secretary and treasurer for the NFA, 
the NFA uh, archives, are really probably the largest known collection of archives is at North Carolina A&T. So this is something we've been wanting to do for a long time was to really preserve this history and just really get the word out there. But let Dr. Wakefield provide a little more there. And so I met Dr. Austin when I was in graduate school. And then one of the things that we talked about, he mentioned to me about the NFA and then we had a lot of discussions on the side. And then I also talked about how my dad used to have these adult teaching opportunities in the, in the, uh, at nighttime, or I would sit there as a kid doing my homework while he was teaching ag teachers. And, and most of the time they were a room full of, of black farmers there at the time. And then the question was, well, what happened to all the black farmers and all the black teachers? And then we, when Dr. Austin and I started talking and he in, uh, introduced me, I would say he introduced me more than, um, than I learned in my his, history books, uh, as well as the NFA manuals back in the days. And then he said, why don't you come up here and spend some time in North Carolina with me? And then that's where it all started back in 1997, 98, where we uh, had opportunity to go to the archives. And then it's been uh, history since then. So we decided now is the time because everyone is talking about um, uh, issues associated with, um, uh, 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 I guess, unity in the classroom. So those are some of the things that we thought about when we decided to write this. Excellent. So if you can, can force um, the history of the of the New Farmers of America and, and that organization is, is a phenomenal history and the work that, they, that, that was accomplished through that group, can you give us kind of a quick overview of maybe the structure of how NFA was structured uh, both locally and then and then nationally. Well, uh, Dr. Wade, you want to go or you want me to go? Go ahead, go ahead, Dr. Okay. So if you, the NFA had a unique structure, you know, most organizations start with the national level and then form the, your regional, your districts, and your local chapters. <clears throat> well, the NFA was the opposite. The NFA actually started with its state associations first, then formed the national organization. Um, it started in 1927 with uh, at the suggestion of Dr. H.O. Sargent, who was the in the U.S. Office of Education as the special agent for what they call the agent for special groups at that time, which was as the terminology used at the time was Negroes, Mexicans, and Indians as the term terminology that they used at that time. You will see in the documentation. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, George Washington Olin started the organization, the New Farmers of Virginia, similar to the Future Farmers of Virginia, which was happening on the other side of the state in Blacksburg, Virginia Tech, and he wrote the Constitution and bylaws for it. Um, because they really thought there was a need for an organization for rural black boys studying vocational agriculture. And from there, the, uh, the New Farmers of Virginia became the model for other states. And so there, from there, they formed sectional groups, uh, if you will. They had the Washington section, the Gulf Coast section, uh, the Sergeant section. They're different ones um, formed uh, from these states. And every state's 189 land grant serves the state association for its uh, well, headquarters for his state association. I would just like to mention one thing about George Washington Owens. He was the first black graduate of Kansas State University. His first job out of Kansas State was to head the dairy science herd at Tuskegee University. He was hired by Booker T. And guess who his boss was? George Washington Carver, who was the head of the ag division, the ag experiment station. So I will tell you, the NFA, and of course, George Washington Carver spoke at the first national convention in 1935. So this organization has direct ties back to Booker T. Tuskegee and Carver himself. So I was a pass over to Dr. Wakefield. And so even in, um, if you think about 
and this could be some table talk discussion. If you go back and look at the lawsuits of Plessy versus Ferguson, the uh, separate but equal, as well as the Brown versus the Board of Topeka County, where uh, separate was uh, considered unequal, that's how you moved into the transition of the NFA and the FFA merging with one another. Because even back in 1954, during the time of the um, um, Brown versus Board of Topeka County, right after that, lawsuit happened, there were 17 NFA state association. Five of those associations actually merged or blended as early as 1954, prior to 1965 when the Civil Rights Act was passed, when the, uh, con the rest of the um, uh, state organization became a part of it. So those are some of the things that we would really love for you to go back and look at the book, read over the book and see how uh, these led to unintentional consequences um, in our classrooms and some of the things that we can talk about later on when it comes to being proactive as teacher educators, when it turned, when we look at self-assessment as teacher educators and what were some of the consequences to why there are so many, I mean, so few underrepresented populations in these teaching classrooms. And, and let me just say this, just like Dr. Wakefield was talking about separate but equal, just like you had NFA and FFA, you had Black 4-H, you had White 4-H. You had New Homemakers of America for Black females and Home Economics, which we now call Family Consumer Science. You had Future Homemakers of America for White females. So that was separate but equal. Well, let me say this. They weren't equal. They got a separate part, right? It was the equal we're still waiting for. <laughs> but it's <laughs> always like the same. But they had the separate part, right, for sure. Yeah, I think it's it's so important to, to, to see how the, the history of school-based ag ed was impacted, paralleled the, the, the rest of what was going on in culture at that time. Um, and, and throughout our history, we have both the good and the bad. And it's important for us to talk about all these different things that are going on. And, and I really appreciate you all writing this book to, to give us this, this pictorial history to see, to see the impacts of what's, what's happening here. So I'm, I'm curious, as I was sitting here thinking about that, you both have a long history in New Farmers of America, as you talked about, but working on this project, what are a couple of things that you all learned that were kind of aha moments for you? Well, one of the one, I can go ahead and start with that one. I'm going to say my first one, uh, Dr. Austin. What was a highlight, one of the highlights for me was uh, seeing and reading as well as hearing um, when I triangulated a lot of this data was that so many people really wanted that to actually happen. They wanted the two organizations to get together, but they did not understand the uh, uh, consequences that happened when, when you merge in two organizations. And one of the organizations benefited way more than the other, but I was under interpretation as I was researching that it was, gonna, it was a, a hostile environment during that time. But if you listen to a lot of former people who were alive during that time, they said they thought that it was a good idea, but um, with, with merging comes sacrifices and, and one of the organizations sacrificed everything. And, and I would also say another thing, historically, several things I would say, I learned from just some historical facts. The NFA had a big part in World War II. 
one of the things that the NFA did, uh, the U.S. The, uh, Defense Department had what they call the Rural War Production Training Program. And what this was, it was where they utilized secondary vocational ag programs to help promote the more efficient production of food at the local level, and particularly through canning, through the process of canning food. And it was really through the NFA and the FFA that they really helped them produce more efficient food and also promoted farm machinery repair. Now, you start, why, why would they do this? Well, you have to remember, the tractor companies at that time, their factories were converted to the produce war machines, okay? So there were no new tractors being built. So you had to repair what you already had. So one of the things that they did, they promoted the, the more efficient use of farm machinery, repairing machinery, uh, food production, uh, improved and efficient farm practices through the NFA. And so I really found, just I was just real surprised at how the NFA was really involved with the war effort. That was just one of the things I would say. And then another effect that really caught my attention was, uh, I mentioned before we started this podcast, was the fact that the U.S. Office of Education, uh, as it existed at that time under the U.S. Office of Health, Education, and Welfare, they did not want the NFA to have a, a Black person as its administrative advisor. So what they did was they had the same person who served in a similar capacity with the FFA also did that for the NFA, so running both organizations at the same time. But as you will read, a lot of times the, the, that person never hardly even came to the national conventions. And the crazy part was most of the state advisors had PhDs. And you're talking about from the, uh, the traditional and prestigious Midwest institutions, such as your Purdue, your Iowa State, your uh, Penn State's in the Northeast, Cornell, but yet they were not given the opportunity to run these the organization in a professional manner. So those are some of the things I would say also. And then that's what led to a demoralizing impact with um, the idea of the black teacher after that, because the black teacher were demoted from their positions to many times to lower categories. Um, and this, and they had lower salaries as well as reduced opportunities for leadership. So that was one of the unintentional consequences that happened um, basically due to the times that we were living in. Excellent, so I, and that was gonna be my question. I, you've been alluding to some unintended consequences. So I was kind of curious to hear your, your voice on your in perspective on the, some of those unintended consequences. Well, let, let me just say this. I often say this, you know, Dr. Waitfield talked about earlier about, you know, the word absorption versus merger. If I had to really use a, a corporate term from the ag business side, it was really uh, a hostile takeover, even though, you know, they live, I mean, they were not fighting, but it really was, in a sense, uh, when Dr. Wakefield said they gave up everything, they gave up everything. Uh, I often tell folks, it, it would be the equivalent of, some, of one university in the Big Ten coming and telling somebody else in the Big Ten or another conference, you got to give up all your colors, your mascot, everything. That's, that's what really happened. And like Dr. Wakefield said, we lost all of that leadership. And, and that really, if you look today, that, that still has impacts today because I look at people like my father's generation, um, really those baby boomers, and then before him, uh, they really had the reason why a lot of those guys went to college was because of their ag teacher. And even if they didn't go into ag, I still run into a lot of people now who were former NFA, who came to college because of NFA. Prime example, 
Chief Justice Henry Fry, who was the first black person to be the Chief Justice of the North Carolina Supreme Court. He was an NFA member, and, and he often talked about, you know, uh, around him, he talks about how his ag teacher had an impact upon him. Uh, and one of our former cost presidents in North Carolina A&T, Chancellor Dowdy, who was our longest serving chancellor, was an NFA member out of South Carolina. So you really lost not only the influence of getting Blacks into agricultural science, but just that influence in the community, period, because the ag teacher held a prominent role in the local community, just like the preacher would do would in any rural Southern community. But I think, in, um, you know, I think sometimes people have a misconception, you all help correct me, that, you know, NFA and FFA were almost identical organizations, just one for white students, one for black students. But the NFA had, there were some, a lot of similarities in the competitions and, and the structure, but there was, a, there was a unique culture. And when that was brought together through that acquisition, that all that was lost. And it wasn't like they just always did the exact same things again to do that. And um, I, I would love to talk a little bit more about what happened in, in 1964, 65, leading up to there, because I think it's important for people to understand it's more than just the answer to an FFA trivia question. Mm -hmm. that NFA and FFA came together in 1965. And I, I think it's so important that our students and our members understand that by reading this book and hearing your all's voice about what happened during, during that time frame. And, and what I like for people to see is look at it from the lenses of the, the 60s of how things, what was going on through the marches, the uh, Montgomery incidents and uh, the, the killing of Dr. Martin Luther King, John F. Kennedy and those type of things. You have to look at it from those lenses. When you try to put two organizations together where people thought were um, uh, on two different spectrums, um, then you can understand how impactful this was and how difficult it was because you're asking if you know speaking on layman's term you're asking a black male teacher to teach white female students during a time where that was not considered something that you could do right and you know i could go i could delve very very far, deep into this but you know not everybody have an open ears or open eyes when you talk about these type of conversations but you have to understand what type of lens we were dealing with back then, even today. Uh, we have a lot of the, uh, young black teachers saying that they cannot go into some of these rural communities. It's, it's the same type of things that they're dealing with. So um, those are some of the issues that they were dealing with through, through those times as well as even today. And, I'll, and I will also just say to you, you're probably aware, I'll just tell the, the, the listeners out there that the National FFA Foundation has given a grant of almost $400,000 to North Carolina A&T. Uh, the PI was our third co-author, uh, Ms. Netta Cox, who's the Ag Librarian at North Carolina A&T. We're going to uh, spend the next four to five years digitizing the NFA collection. And so that's something that we had really, uh, that's another thing Dr. Wakefield and I had really been pushing for for a long time. And I would just say, not everybody was always receptive to what we've been trying to do. I'm just going to be honest with you on that. <laughs> and and it's been, a, when I say it's been a labor of love, it really has. We, this has been a long fight for us. And we and even now, I still have people will come up and ask me, well, why, well, why is this thing of the NFA so important? I'm like, well, look around this room. If you look around this room, because most of the time when I'm in a room, I'm usually one of, if I'm not on one, one of only two or three. So it's very important that people understand this. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and Dr. Wafer brought it before about being proactive, and and you know we we 
much more time needs to be spent talking about the thing we're talking about now, but I want to, I want to kind of shift our focus to, to what do we do now? And I, I'd love to have some time to how do we use this, as you put, Dr. Austin, your labor of love into, into action to, to, to be doing that. Kind of what is your vision for how this, this book is, will be used by uh, current uh, ag teachers across the country? Well, from my perspective, I want it to be utilized to tell the complete truth. And let me emphasize that again, the complete truth. If you if you really look at what's been really happening uh, because of the unfortunate incident with George Floyd and other uh, things that have been happening, America has really had a reawakening about the way American history has been taught or the lack of how it's been taught. And so I, I think it's really important for people. Don't we alluded this earlier? You know, history is not always pretty, but it must be told so that you don't repeat the mistakes of the past. So my hope would be that this book one one would be a resource that could be utilized to further to stimulate further conversations to help to help develop curriculum materials uh, that can be utilized uh, at the K twelve level, particularly at the high school level to really infuse conversations about DEI and the importance of agriculture. Because let, let me just say this before moving on. Agriculture is a national security issue. When you impact a country's ability to feed itself, you impact that country. And we've been finding that out through the pandemic and with the current situations that are going on in Ukraine, which some people call the breadbasket of Europe. You know, And so I say to you that it's imperative that we are producing future agricultural leaders and all sectors of our society have a place in agriculture. And another thing that goes with this, and I know that this is a, a term that is not viewed as so positive in the United States. Uh, if you look at that term critical race theories, it typically examines the intersection of race, society, and law in the United States. When you look at this book here, what, it, what you were seeing here, and I keep mentioning that term, uh, unintentional biases and consequences, you would see how the leadership that was associated with agriculture, how the career preparation programs that were associated with agriculture by individuals who, uh, uh, from a cultural perspective, believed that every male student could be successful, and how after this merger, the, 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 the destruction of such a foundation has impacted of the growth of a, of a large population of individuals. And we can go on and we talk about this all day. And this was a law. When you talk about uh, uh, the theories that are developed, this was a law based on society and based on race that actually destroyed a population of, of, of males in our society. And when you see the book and see the faces of the smiling men, uh, when you read their stories, you can see how impactful an uh, organization like that had on these kids to be destroyed in the 1960s. And, and, and let me also say one more thing to add on what Dr. Wakefield said. If you really study the, the history of mankind, agriculture for most of mankind's very existence has usually been the economic base of civilization. And so thus it was important that you have people who understand the agriculture economic enterprise. And so that's why it was so important that you have organizations like the NFA, FFA, to help produce these future agricultural leaders. And when you have an organization that uh, the, as strong as the NFA, when you have the demise of that organization, it does have an impact upon society. 
Just think about value jets since we're sitting here talking and drinking our coffee. Think about those airplanes and North, Northwest Airline and all of those back in the days during the time of the merger. Back then, a value jet ticket was $99. Yeah. But then when, when uh, they were taken over by the major industry, we can't even buy an airline ticket anymore for anything less than four or $500. But, and, and most people have never even heard of value jet uh, to these days. Uh, in this generation. So that's pretty much, a, 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 I guess, a way of analogy of how you can look at what happened during that absorption of a, of a company. You know, I think, I think this is a, such a great conversation and I appreciate you, you both uh, investing your time and expertise in, in getting, putting this document together. As we, as we wrap up this conversation, just once again, want to emphasize the importance of this conversation of the work that you all have done to, to get this conversation started in our, in our FFA chapters and with our school-based ag ed programs. Encourage them to continue to watch the work that you and others are doing as you digitize that NFA collection. To, to, this, is, this is the beginning of, the, of this conversation and, um, and making sure that we have a, a better understanding of what happened in um, and even, you know, what some things were being done that I thought was the, a good thing to be doing does have these unintended consequences that are definitely being affected. And I know being in Florida now, we still, we still see, um, there was a, when I first arrived in Florida 20 years ago, there was a number of, of uh, black ag teachers who were former NFA advisors and, and teachers in those in, in segregated schools were when the, the acquisition happened, moved over. And there was not a generation that came to fill their shoes behind them uh, because of it was not done in a good way to, su to support that next generation of, of black ag teachers. And so how, how do we how do we help turn that tide around? Well, well, let me, it was one simple thing. And I really applaud my colleague, Dr. Olga Bodum Tiller, who's the dean of agriculture Tuskegee for for she's really trying to lead some of this effort. We need to get more ag teacher prep programs back in the 1890s. Uh, you know, you talk about Florida, Florida A&M does not have one. Um, if you really go across the board, Southern University of Louisiana doesn't have one. Uh, Prairie View, I think theirs is on the books. I think they might be trying to get theirs back or, you know, something to that effect. And Langston, Lincoln doesn't have one. The, the point uh, we're making is, is that you really don't have, to a large extent, there are a few, but very few teacher prep programs at your 1890 land grants. What, what do you think about that? Well, what I would think is, and this is one of the things I want to do with uh, Kurt Schwartz and those guys at Mississippi State, um, is I want us to reach out, and, and this is a formula for, for um, the universities, and if there's any teaching professor, professors listening, develop a stronger relationship with the 1890s and 1862, where there could be a three plus one based program, or some type of program where you can work in unison with one another. This is not a competition. Uh, with universities. Uh, FAMU and uh, University of Florida, Georgia and Fort Valley State, and I can go on and on and on where there can be developmental based program where you can try to train more underrepresented populations. And even in the, in the, um, in the Southwest with uh, Texas, um, work with Texas to engage more Hispanic teachers uh, uh, into our, as a form underrepresented population teacher education. So those are some of the things that we can try to work on, whether it's through a major, you know, national uh, initiative for all of us to do something, or whether we just take it upon ourselves to do it. But I think that that's something that we should do in our states. Yeah, 
So, Dr. Wakefield, you, you bring some great points as we close this out. It's important for us to look back at the history to see what, what happened so that it can inform us in our decisions and the new challenges that you just outlined for us right there as, as, we, as we continue to move forward uh, to, uh, to get school-based agricultural education, uh, youth programming to, to all, all students and all youth. And uh, that's gonna be so important. And uh, again, thank you both for being with us today. Thank you both for the work that you're doing. Um, and we're going to do all we can to, um, as this podcast goes out, so check the social media on Al Pellets to hopefully we can include a link um, to, to the, the, the book as well so that you can find ways to, to incorporate in your classroom. So Dr. Austin, Dr. Wakefield, thank you so much for being with us today here on Al Pellets. All thank right. You thank us. you. Appreciate that. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Check out our website for more information on this topic and to learn more about our guests. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay connected. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. For Mike and Becky, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellets saying thank you and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets Tips for Ag Teachers.